Retirement readiness can be challenging enough without compounding that difficulty by making boneheaded retirement planning mistakes. Today we address three of these, which we'll summarize as misunderstanding reward and risk, retiring at the wrong time, and confusing your so-called retirement number with an actual retirement plan. Stay tuned as we delve more deeply into these three mistakes and how to avoid them right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Lungani, here with Eric Olson and Adrian Nicholson. We've got a great episode today. Before we jump into it, uh, Eric, you were driving across uh, New York last week, correct? Oh, yeah, th- that was fantastic. So we spent some time in the Adirondacks up at um, one of a lake called Long Lake, and it was just amazing there, and then did some hiking in the area. So that was my, my wife's and my first exposure to that um, park and that, those mountains. It was, I, I was expecting beautiful, but it was really beautiful. I thought I, I was thinking I would be seeing more jagged uh, peaks, but instead what I discovered is the, the secret beauty of that is all the lakes. Have you guys been there before? No, I haven't. I haven't been to New York in a while and I want to go back, but it sounds like you have a great time, Eric. I mean, you always have a good time. You got to go on a trip together sometime soon, <laughs> Eric. I wish you could go to Vegas with me. Oh, that would be so fun. Yeah, that would really be fun. Hey, in fact, uh, because of, um, you know, you've got a big event coming up later this fall. So I'm actually excited to getting out and, uh, and seeing your city and hanging out with you guys. That's a little awesome, bit. Eric. Well, less so maybe with you, Adrian, because you'll have a few things that'll be preoccupying you. Yeah, but I'm definitely looking forward to Eric's referring to my wedding on October 29th. Less than 100 days. I'm just really excited. We're getting people RSVPing right now. So I'm really excited. A lot of people are taking their time to come celebrate me and my future wife, Alex. So I'm really excited. That's great. And Adrian, you're, as far as planning goes, you're pretty much done, correct? Yeah, we have everything booked up. Like I said, we're just kind of waiting for people to just respond to our invitation. So we're pretty much dialed in at this point, ready to go. That's great. Well, let's jump, jump into our topic today. Adrian, you are uh, taking, taking the lead today. So I'm going to let, uh, let you kick it off. Great. Thanks. I appreciate that, Roshan. So today we're going to have a lot of ideas for our listeners and our audience. So we're really excited to share some common retirement mistakes you should avoid. These can be common planning misconceptions. And we're just going to kind of run through a bunch of ideas that our audience and listeners should just really consider or just uh, think about when they're planning for their, their future. We think these are going to be some really good ones and helpful ones. And if you could take just a moment to like and subscribe, our videos. We really appreciate it because we have a lot of good content for you today. So you guys ready to go? Absolutely. Awesome. So the first area I want to touch on today is risk and reward. I think this is a very valuable concept, especially in the space of investing. And I guess a common mistake that people can really run into 
is not settling into a level of risk that they're comfortable with. And the overall kind of thing I want to leave you with today is make sure that you're getting paid in line with the risk you're taking. I, this is extremely important. Whether you're an aggressive investor, a moderate investor, a conservative investor, if you're aiming for super high returns or moderate returns, you want to paid in line with the amount of risk you're taking. So understanding the relationship between risk and reward can really help you better diversify your portfolio and really protect your overall investments and is extremely important because there are a lot of risk associated with investing. Everybody understands that if you want to achieve really high returns, if you want to really crank up your growth rate, there's going to be risk that is involved in this. There's the opportunity of you losing money, not keeping pace with inflation, because inflation is a really hot topic right now. People want to make sure that their money is keeping pace with this. Uh, hitting on a required rate of return to meet your income needs in retirement, that's really important. Everybody has a certain number. They may not know what it is if you haven't planned, but everybody has a certain investment or growth rate that they need to hit in order for them to achieve their goals. There's also fees and transaction costs that come with investment. And these are all just common risks that fall into the investing world that you need to really make note of. And I'm just really going to hit home on that quote that I'm bringing up, getting paid in line with the risk that you're taking. Because if there's an opportunity for you to lower your risk and kind of still stay in line with your overall return on your investment, that's a really good opportunity because maybe you don't need to take as much risk anymore because you've accumulated a lot of wealth over time. So I think this is a very good area to start off with. Do either of you want to comment on where we're starting off today? Yeah, I love the love where you're starting off. I think it's really valuable. Um, you touched on two things really that, that come to mind. One is uh, the first being risk comfort level uh, can change over time, as can the risk required to reach your goal. So I think one, reassessing your comfort level and reassessing your the risk you need to take on an ongoing basis is, is a good thing. The, the other thing that stands out, you had mentioned getting, getting paid for your risk. I'm actually in the middle of uh, Charlie Munger's book that's, uh, that's uh, Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway, and I just finished the, the section where he talks about risk, and he really goes in, de in depth about how the investment industry tries to use volatility as the risk measure and how flawed that is, right? Volatility is it going up and down, and his, his take on it, which I, which I definitely agree with, is there are really two major risks, the risk of permanent loss of capital and the risk of inadequate returns. And now both of these can be impacted if you have not uh, assessed your risk tolerance correctly or your portfolio's need. So you can get a, a permanent loss or an inadequate return. You can be right about a, uh, an investment, right? But then it goes down in value. You're scared or not comfortable with that risk. And then you sell, causing a permanent loss. Fast forward, that investment recovers. So that's an issue. That, that situation in me, that example, when you either didn't adequately assess your risk tolerance or what, what you could comfortably handle in that case, or it could have been the portfolio, one, one or the other. But I think it's a very good one to start off uh, the topic with Adrian. And there's so much to go into there. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I'm really interested in it's a it's a book, right? That you refer to. What's the name of the title again? It's called Charlie Munger: The Complete Investor by Tren Griffin. Okay, yeah, I definitely have to look into that. I mean, it's really important and just brings up the idea of just risk capacity. That definitely changes over time how much risk you can really take overall. And like I mentioned before, there are investments out there that are correlated that move in line with each other where they might have varying degrees of risk. So really running the numbers and analyzing different investments can be very beneficial where you have something that could provide a good return, it has good growth prospects, everything looks really positive, let's just say if it's a company, and it could be less risky than maybe something that you own right now. So that's something that uh, is something really to consider because there's just a common misconception, oh, if I want to achieve high returns, I have to take high risk. And yes, that is the case most of the times, but there's also ways where you could just reduce your risk and still have a return that is in line with your goals, I think is, uh, is valuable. But again, it causes you to do some research, analyzing, really just digging into the numbers, which can take time. But when it comes to losing money or not losing your principal, it's uh, it could be really valuable and help out in the long run, that's for sure. Okay, I've got to just mention a couple other things here. I think some one of the mistakes that people sometimes make is is that uh, they confuse individual security volatility with portfolio level um, volatility. The portfolio. I, while I, on the one hand, I agree with what Munger says is it's a disservice to the you know the investment community in that sense has done a disservice to investors by focusing on security level volatility as though that's risk. And and misapplying that concept, and for our listeners, so it's some the, the the contrasting risk that Munger highlighted that Roshan cited specifically the loss of the risk of a permanent loss of capital that is indeed a risk, but volatility inherent that that is inherent and sort of a predictable element of certain sorts of asset classes it is not in and of itself a risk of permanent loss of capital, and so. I have clients that will at times say, I want to get rid of this particular holding. Well, why? Well, because it hasn't been doing very well in the last three months. Okay. So, yeah, it doesn't always do well, that's for sure. Um, long run, how does it do? I, I, I don't know. It seems like it's going down. That's, let's just get rid of it. Well, you can, you've probably heard that played out in your own conversations with certain clients. I think what happens there is, is that you just trimmed out... <laughs> If you do, if if you uh, remove that component from your portfolio because it happened to have been down o- over the last three months, you wind up with this problem of having owned something that has a long-term, high-expected return potentially. But in your case, you cycle through various things that have a long-term, reasonably high expected rate of return. But your experience, your investment experience, as a result of those is on balance negative because you your behavior recurrently is you bought them here and you sold them down there when it got a little uncomfortable. So instead you should be focused on what what contribution if any do they have to the portfolio, particularly if they're inversely correlated with the rest of the portfolio, they're doing their job. That their job in part is to dampen the overall volatility of the portfolio and it may not seem like it when they're in that one of those down phases but but just sit tight and they'll probably come back and do their job eventually 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll go keep, continue, Eric. I just want to comment on one thing that you brought up, but I really like where you're headed right now. Okay, I mean, there's a, the off-sided example, I think is, if I'm not mistaken, it, I think it's Bill Miller, but I might be wrong. It's the CMG Focus Fund. So this is an example of this taken not just to the single security level, but the aggregation of a number of securities inside a mutual fund. If, if I'm not mistaken, over a 15-year period that recently concluded, that was one of the strongest, if not the strongest performing mutual fund of all, at least of all the broadly diversified mutual funds. Have, nevertheless, the average investor's return in that fund was negative. How could that be? <laughs> because the they were recurrently buying after it had been on a hot streak, thinking, man, this thing is fantastic. And then selling after it had one of its cold streaks and think, this thing is a dog. And that you just do that same cycle over and over and over again. It's very destructive. So go ahead. This shows the value and the importance of just building I say like a team in this aspect when it comes to creating a portfolio because the individual securities and what you own in your portfolio, everything in there has a certain role that it's going to play in helping you achieve your, your goal or your, the return that you need. It's all really important. So whether it's performing well in a quarter or not performing well, just doing the research and analyzing and just seeing is it still maintaining and keeping that role and why it was introduced in the portfolio in the first place is really important. It just shows the value of having an investment in philosophy is very important because it can keep you from making kind of emotional or straying away from it and making those decisions other than it being based on numbers and your overall plan, I think is something really valuable here. I have one second thought, and this is a lot faster, and this is just a reaction to something that Roshan said, and that is is that while, again, I agree with uh, the premise that you cited from Charlie Munger that people mistake volatility of an instrument with some sort of um, fundamentally, uh, you know, they equate it with a loss of capital or the risk of a loss of capital. I agree with that, that that is a mistake to do that. At the same time, I just want to highlight that there's a very big difference between the way in which we accept risk or volatility, those, again, distinguishing those two things, when we are in the accumulation phase versus when we're in the distribution phase. During the accumulation phase, it really doesn't matter how much volatility you have in your portfolio. The only thing that matters is what the long-term, and, and from, the, from an investment, from a financial return standpoint, and there's many other things that matter about investing, but from, from a financial return standpoint, during the accumulation phase, it doesn't really matter if your portfolio is volatile. It just matters is what the final outcome is. But during a distribution phase, even volatility, distinct from risk of permanent loss of capital, even volatility is, uh, is, is not your friend. <laughs> because if you're taking money out on a steady basis in the same way that you were putting it in, let's say on a dollar cost averaging basis, this reverse dollar cost averaging from your portfolio if it's too volatile, is quite damaging to the long-term survivability of that portfolio. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think those are two different kinds of risk, mm -hmm. right? When I was looking at the Munger quote, that's purely investment risk. Whereas what you're, what you're describing, I'd call that more like withdrawal risk, maybe, uh, is probably the best way to, to define it. But yeah, there are definitely... Uh, uh, I would ad address that at the very beginning when Adrian had said and I had, I had echoed that uh, our risk tolerance and capacity changes over time. 
All right. So I, I know there are a lot of different schools of thought. The most aggressive I think I've ever read was one that says, uh, keep five years of your withdrawals uh, in really conservative investments, and then you can be as aggressive as you want with the rest. The thought being that it, the volatility over five years will smooth out. If it crashes, it'll come back within, within five years. And uh, I've seen others where they talk about, you know, literally split your portfolio to where it it's, an, it's purely income generating and um, you live off of that income and don't touch the principal and others where they do sort of a hybrid where you've got both growth and income. I think any of these can make sense for the right person. So each individual has got to pick what works, what works best for them. And Adrian, Eric, we did an episode on this. I'm sure you'll remember the study more than I will. I think it was the glide uh, path where it talked about increasing equity later on. As far as you're withdrawing money, you're increasing equity along the way, whereas, whereas typically the opposite is what is, is, what is uh, suggested. So um, yeah, we'll put that. Not saying any of these are right or wrong, just saying individual, the, the, an individual needs to select what makes the most sense for, for them and the, their financial plan and overall financial situation will help give them guidance. It'll be a combination of data and comfort, both behavioral finance and financial plan, I think, that leads you to the correct yeah. answer for you. Um, I have one last comment, Adrian, on the large question that you began with, which is risk and return. I'm, and speaking about books, yeah, I'm reading a really interesting book by a guy who's one of the one of the um, top researchers at AQR, Applied Quantitative Research, and um, I'm not sure that I'm a hundred percent. I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly, so I do apologize if I'm um, messing it up. But it's Antti Ilmanen, I believe, is the name of it. A N T T I, if I'm recalling it correctly. Anyway, um, he has just published a book which was. Uh, a, a sort of a follow-up to the the magnum opus that he had done back 10, 12 years ago, a 550-page tome called Expected Returns. This time it's investing in an environment of low expected returns. And it is truly fascinating. So if indeed his premise is correct, that we are now coming into a, a an extended period of lower expected returns on all sorts of instruments, stocks, bonds, and more, then, Adrian, your, your um, counsel to us and to our listeners to be very mindful of what's going on on the reward side along with the risk is all the more apropos. Yeah, thanks, Eric. We appreciate you sharing that. And I really enjoy where our discussion went with risk and reward. I just thought it was just a really valuable concept for our listeners just to be aware of, especially as the years go on. It's just something to always go back on an annual basis and check in on because important. So I'm going to change gears here. As I was preparing for the podcast yesterday, I found a really interesting statistic that I wanted to share today that I think will lead into a pretty good discussion. So according to the Federal Reserve Board, a study shows that one in third of those who retire eventually reverse retirement and return to work on either a full or part-time basis. And this is across multiple different income groups. I found this really interesting because it shows that there's a pretty much a 33% chance that the retirement party you're going to this weekend will just ultimately end up being a party. So I guess my biggest thing to the listener here, if you are planning on doing this, you should really consider taking your retirement for uh, a, test, a test drive, which would be 
pretty important in my opinion. So what do you guys think of that stat? Uh, not surprised at all by it. Uh, I'll tell you, there's, uh, here's what I have seen personally with, with some, some clients that have gone back to work. Uh, and honestly, in some cases, it was completely predictable. One is where people were laid off and they didn't retire by choice. They still got the retirement party because they were of age to retire. And at the time, maybe they are thinking they would be retiring. But, uh, but then they go back, go, go back to work because they really didn't want to retire at that point. <laughs> I mean, that's still nice that they got the party either way. That's very nice. <laughs> yeah, once again, not always by choice. It's called a retirement, but it's, it's a, a layoff. I have seen that. The, the other one, though, is... Um, uh, and I like your advice with test driving a lot uh, with this, by the way. I've got a client doing this right now where they were able to cut back their work uh, schedule so they can still work and then sort of test, test it out. And even during the pandemic, I had a client that was retiring and sort of got a forced test drive because of that. That's happened for people I've worked with during government shutdowns as well. So I love the trust test drive idea. But the other issue that comes up is a lot of people just don't know what to do when they retire. So they retire and they just end up bored. So they haven't figured out what, what hobbies they'd want, what social circle they'd want. So many people have their social interaction primarily at work now. So they are, there are two instances where I've seen what you've described. Uh, once again, one is retiring not by choice and two, retiring from something as opposed to retiring to something so leaving that job because it, it felt like the time was right but then not knowing what you're doing with yourself yeah i mean slowly dipping your toes in the water is definitely uh, the theme here just test driving it out seeing what it's gonna be like because you'll really find value in that and maybe you might find something that you weren't thinking you were going to do in retirement that is something that's going to be a big part of it that's extremely important and just seeing what life will be like and it'll also give you a, a good gauge on what your expenses would look like and who you're going to be spending time with and what it really looks like just making that transition as easy as possible is definitely beneficial here and that's something that test driving gives you the opportunity yeah i think that you've I highlighted the importance of a lot of different elements there adrian about what, what you're test driving i just want to zero in on one of those not because it's the only important one but it is the one that i think is the the biggest adjustment for some people and that is test drive the income pardon me test drive the spending level that you're uh would be sustainable once you do retire because if you're i have a it's Frequent, I'm sure you've had this as well, gentlemen, where you'll have someone come in and they'll talk with you and you'll kind of go through their uh, picture financially to understand kind of where they're at. And of course, you haven't done a financial plan yet. You're sitting down with them for the first time and just kind of hearing the, the kind of overarching details. And what you're sort of thinking in the back of your mind is, is wait a second, you, you have saved really only this amount and you're wanting to retire at fill in the blank, 60, 62. You're telling me that right now you're, you're barely able to get your spending under about $100,000 a year. So do the math. If, unless you take Social Security right away, which is inadvisable, and I would say for most people, not all, but for most people, unless you take that Social Security right away, 
you're going to essentially consume all of those savings based on what you've told me in about two, three, four years time. There won't be anything left. So to make the equation work, you'd have to be living on, let's say, I'm just making up a number now, 25% less per month than you're currently spending. Do you think that's doable? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, if you think you're so, if you're confident about that, that's a big adjustment. If you're so confident you can do that, why don't you take that spending plan for a test drive for a year, and then let's let's talk in a one year's time, and let's talk about then if that if you indeed still believe that's workable. So, Eric, let me ask. You've had this conversation before. Uh, how's it gone? Uh, fast forward a year with this person, or did they hear you tell them this and maybe never came back because they didn't they weren't able to do it for a year or what, what happened in most cases i never see them again and i think it's in part because maybe i'm just a really rude person um uh, to even raise that and so i was going to use a little stronger term than person there for just a second i thought no this is a family show so uh but instead i think what happened was is that they just were so sort of i think dismayed by the this thought that maybe this sort of broad the broad contours of what they've imagined will work is in the minds at least of somebody who sees this day in and day out with for hundreds of people is that that it's not a very good plan i think that's that's just so fundamentally discouraging to them that they they don't at least want to talk with me the bearer of that slightly bad news or that at least that personal challenge again. So it's, it's a very difficult conversation to have, but it's, it's one, and I don't say it's a frequent one, but I would say every year or two, uh, um, I'll have to have that conversation with someone or at least feel like that's the, that's the right thing to do with that person to just start with a whole new reframing of the reality. Do you guys run into that? I mean, presenting the data is just really good just to help them make informed decisions. Just you want to kind of look at your overall situation. And sometimes it takes a tough conversation. And I guess that must have been a tough conversation because you said you didn't really see them much after that. So just giving them, laying out the, all the options so they can make an informed decision or at least have it in the back of their pocket is just better than not knowing at all and just test driving it and kind of just behind the wheel blindfold that is never really something that we'd ever really advise. Yeah, that, Eric, I've had uh, one specific situation that comes to mind where I met with a plastic surgeon making over a million dollars a year. Um, I, if I remember correctly, just turning 50, was about to throw a big 50th birthday, birthday bash, uh, spent a million bucks a year, and only asset to speak of was the equity in their multi-million dollar home. And their game plan was, by the time I retire, I'll pay off the home, I'll sell it, and then I will live off of, uh, live off of the proceeds. But that would involve, uh, I think if I remember correctly, that would involve cutting their spending by like 65%. Right, so, and this was, uh, uh, exact same experience as you where, where, uh, I never met with them again. We used to, we used to joke when I started in the business, we used to say they entered the witness protection program because, uh, <laughs> he, you'd never, never see or hear from them again after that. Okay. All right. Good line. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I just want to 
brings us back to a term that I brought up. This could be its own episode, but I'm just curious. Have you, either you two been to a retirement party and have any like cool or fun stories that you want to share? I've seen some as extreme of people getting caught on fire by the celebration cake and some as just uh, cringe as poorly timed speeches that really should have been said in private. So anything memorable from a retirement party? I've never been to one, so want to invite me one, I'd be happy to come, but kind of want to see what it's like. Adrian's going to get all these invitations on the website now. Please come to my retirement party, <laughs> which would be fun. But I've got no embarrassing stories. I've been to a few, and they've all been uh, exactly what you'd expect from, from a retirement party. Yeah. I'm assuming I, just good food, some speeches, just catching up, just a little bit of reflection here and there, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, exactly. Adrian, even if I had some embarrassing stories to tell, do you think I'd be well advised to, to tell those stories about my clients? I mean, it doesn't have to be embarrassing. Maybe somebody's listening right now and they want to have a retirement party. So they're like, what can I do to make sure that this is the best send-off I can have going into this new phase of my life? So either one, but it doesn't have to be funny. I was just curious. Just monitor, monitor a little bit who's had what to drink before they get the microphone. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so that, that's, that's very telling. Eric has these stories that, we, that he won't say on camera. We need to bug him off camera. <laughs> maybe. I mean, it's also, I could maybe apply that to my upcoming wedding as well. So the, absolutely. I'll keep that noted as well. <laughs> yeah, that'd, be, that'd be a good idea. If Eric tries right. to give a speech, monitor what he's been drinking first. <laughs> noted. All right. All right, so I'm going to bring us on to the last I love I you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it, Eric. I'll be like, that's, uh, that's my podcast host guy right there. <laughs> this is the side of him I've never seen before. <laughs> you won't see that side of me. But uh, who knows? No, I should, I, should, I should leave some ambiguity about that. So you, you the, keep the risk element in the spirit of the conversation we're having today. So tell, tell your groomsmen if Eric goes for the mic to tackle him. <laughs> all right and i'll let the dj know as well because he'll be supplying the mic hey, cut the mic off. okay okay great 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 see that guy over there no mic <laughs> Adrian, awesome. what's so the... i'm gonna bring us on to our last topic that i have today and this eric kind of touched on as well and roshan i think you kind of mentioned this as well when you're talking about that plastic surgeon who made a million dollars a year so this is try to avoid setting a certain number or amount that will allow you to be financially independent without creating a plan. And I'm just going to dive a little bit deeper in this. Yes, it's good to have goals and targets in mind. That's something that we always like to hear when it comes, especially when it comes to planning. But it's even better when you have goals and targets in mind when they're supported by a customized plan that's tailored to you. So this is really something that's really important because you want to identify your goals and create a plan other than just assuming some number that you looked up or you heard from or something that you think is just going to be the overarching thing that if you hit this number, you'll be fine. So it's really taking assumption out of it and really just sticking to a plan or just having a conversation just to see how you can just achieve this goal. Because this is just extremely important because things change over time. Expenses change how long you work will change. That's different for everybody. And the future really isn't guaranteed to anybody. So it's really important to really plan and see all the different risks and scenarios that can play out that can really impact these 
goals and these targets that you have in mind, it's really important because also something that we touched on before, your investments are going to be a really important factor for you to achieve these goals as well. So you want to kind of plan that out as well. And there's a whole bunch of factors that play into this. But when you have a goal or a target in mind, create a plan that's customized to you other than maybe using some rule of, of thumbs or assumptions, just so you're prepared for the worst. And if you're not, you can have a better outcome. And that's something that's really valuable. I love that one too. I, I, what comes to mind for me when you say that is, you've got to figure out the reason for your goal. So you, what you had said, Adrian, was having a goal is a good thing, but it's got to, it's got to mean something besides just an arbitrary random number, right? And I, I see two risks with having a random number. One, what if that number is wrong? What if you say I need X to retire and that's not enough? The other risk I see, even if that random number is adequate, is uh, that is a situation where I think the likelihood of that person retiring, going back to work is higher just because they had a goal, they hit that goal and now what, right? So now they've got that number, they can retire if they want, but I, I think they'd have a little bit of trouble figuring out what they want to do with themselves. So when I say figure out the why, if you're someone that wants to move and retire to the beach, how much do you need to make that move and retire and go to the beach and live there forever. I think that's a better goal than, than even if it's the same number, let's just say that number's $5 million. I'm totally picking it because it's an easy round number. Let's say you're person A where you say, all right, I need 5 million to retire. And let's assume that's the correct number. And person B's, I need 5 million so I can move to the, move to the, move to the beach and, you know, live there and enjoy that. I think person B is likely to stay retired more likely than person A who just had a number and not a reason for why. Yep, and just understanding the risk and stuff that can knock you off track, and that's just the value of planning, just seeing what can go wrong and what could go wrong, and just knowing everything in between is just very valuable. And it's just even more important, what I say, creating a customized plan that's tailored to you, because maybe there's somebody out there that has a similar goal, and you're trying to find following the same path that they took, and you think this might be achievable for you, but things change all the time. There's a lot of variabilities when it comes to, to life. So just kind of knowing everything that get in the way of this is extremely important. Also of note, sometimes people are fearful of having these uh, goals or these targets because they're worried that it is going to change. And I would, I would say it will change, right? From what, I, what I've seen with clients, whether it's when they've retired uh, they they thought they want to travel all the time and realized it was too much. They they plan to live in one part of the country and something happened in their life where they're in a different part. So I think expect this to be a, a journey and, and an adventure as opposed to going exactly as you as you planned it. Exactly. Just like you said, it might not go as you planned it, but if you're prepared for it, if you plan for it, you probably know how to maybe go into another direction or how to maybe make some adjustments just to stay on track where if you don't really have a plan, like I mentioned earlier, if you're kind of behind the wheel with blindfold on right now, it's really hard for you to hit those targets or those goals. So just try and look at the data, make, create a balance sheet, have a conversation, look at what you, your investments, see everything that you have that can help you this goal and this target. 
and then you make those adjustments and then continue to monitor that and track it is also just extremely important because plans change as well, just as your goals and targets change. So there's a lot of variability. So that's something that you really need to key in on if you want to hit this certain target or goal you have in mind because it changes a lot. Yeah, I believe change is certainly a big part of it. The one thing that I think, uh, and and anticipating that change and doing the planning, of course, I, I, it sounds self-serving that we're saying this, of course, because we're planners, but I mean, it is, we see over and over the the um, mistaken impressions or the the unrealistic expectations oftentimes that good planning can correct. And sometimes that, incidentally, those, uh, the expectations that, that it uh, corrects, good planning corrects, is, uh, is uh, very... Um, what I'll say, small expectations. And when people see uh, through the planning process that indeed the combination of the of the social security, potentially the pensions, the other resources that they have and what have you, that those things actually work together in a pretty effective way for them, they're they're surprised. And I think, by the way, just in, on that note as an aside, the planning part, good planning at least, it's also um, highly attentive to long-term, you know, lifetime tax reduction strategies is even more potent in this respect insofar as the IRS gets less, you you have more. But there is the opposite side. And that is that sometimes when I hear people name a number and they're saying, I don't really need to do any sort of planning. I've got this number in mind. Then if you just probe a little bit and you find out what assumption they have about the growth that they're going to see in their portfolio until they retire and how much that growth will continue to supply them during their retirement, you kind of scratch your head. How did you develop that expectation? I don't know about you guys, but I, I often hear people say, I'm going to make, be making 10% on my portfolio, right? Possibly. Uh, that is, you know, it's, I suppose that is possible. Um, but if you're assuming that that will necessarily be the case and it'll be uniform from year to year and that there won't be any inflation and you won't have any taxes and there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then maybe yeah, that 10% per year growth rate idea that you have will work, but but maybe you should maybe you should test that a little bit. So that's why I, I think uh, f- sort of false assumptions or faulty assumptions are often if the if faulty assumptions are behind the number you've selected, that's really the problem. It's not the number itself. It's the it's the grossly incomplete set of assumptions as well as, in some cases, the outright, un, just completely unrealistic assumptions. I completely agree with you there, too. You've got to go through it. That reminds me to share with our listeners, if you're a newer listener to us, um, our second season, we talk about financial planning and, and, um, and assumptions you can, you can use. Uh, it reminds me, Eric, last year, I had a call with someone referred to me by an accountant, and he... Uh, he um, I didn't have a follow-up with him because he said to me, I want something low risk to return 15% a year. And my response was, I'm not aware of such a, such a thing. And, and it's, it's interesting because you get these, uh, these things that um, are anecdotal, in my mind, signals that we're at the peak because I had conversations like that in 2000 as well. And I'm like, yeah, just give me something that's low risk and does just 15% a year every year without moving up and down very much. And, and it, it, it shows uh, a lack of uh, experience and knowledge in, in the space. And, and then when you try to explain it to them, 
um, I find that that sometimes that's like uh, I've got this injury, like bang, bang your head against the wall because <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Excellent, guys. I, I really liked it, Adrian. The, the three topics, if we can just summarize them again and tell me if I get it wrong. The first one is, is risk. Uh, the second one was, um, uh, was the fact that people are retiring and then going back to work, about a third of the retirees. And then the uh, last one was making sure you've got a plan in place. So, uh, and we've got good tips for everyone in there. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be back next week with another great episode. Please like subscribe give us five stars tell your friends and family uh, about us and share share the links you can check out the website at retirementlifestyleshow.com and thank you for listening schedule a conversation with roshan adrian or eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RTA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through RTA Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor, and securities through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw in Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube audio library and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.